therapy is the therapy for this I call post-induction therapy. You know why I call it post-induction therapy? I don't know. I made it up. One day Pat and I are talking about what to call this. It's really, I call it post-induction therapy because it is, this induction refers to the carried feeling reality. It's really about induced feeling reality, not carried, but carried makes it easier to understand. And post means after you now sit in life with a lot of carried feeling on board, what to do. Five-part process, you've already experienced the first part. Believe me, sitting in here all day, if this is the first time you've heard it, is a miserable experience. So if you're feeling miserable and overwhelmed, understand that that is part of the why I am doing it. Is actually, what I want to do is create that effect. I want to get your attention. I want to get your attention. Education. You need to understand what the disease is, what it looks like, what the symptoms are, and what to do about it. You need to be, have it made personal for you. I don't, believe, I don't believe therapy is effective when you don't know what you're doing. Have you ever been to a therapist and you mash around on a whole lot of stuff and I wonder what you're doing in there day after day? You know you're feeling a little bit better, but you don't quite know what's really going on. I don't believe in that kind of therapy. I believe in getting in, taking care of the business, and getting out and getting about your work of living, not going to the therapist. Get in, get your business done, and get out and get up on with the business of living. I have a lot of friends that have become addicted to therapy. You know, every little bump on their nose, they have to go in and they can't do anything without asking their therapist. That's ridiculous. And, and in order to really understand how to get in and get out, you need the education to know what the problem is. And actually, it's rather simple. Second thing is, is about what we call dialoguing and debriefing. Dialoguing is the work of the therapist. Debriefing is the work of the codependent. Debriefing, again, is your work. You can't do that until you get your history straight. You can't get your history straight until you write about it. But when you debrief, because you've gotten your history written down, you do it this way just as you wrote it down. You tell someone, your group, your counselor, your sponsor, this is what happened to me that was abusive. And about that I feel, and you list your feeling reality. That's called debriefing. In other words, you're sharing your history and having your feelings about it without judgment. You don't go in, Dad did a terrible, awful thing. He was a lout and a creep and a crumb. This is what he did. And you list it specifically without judgmental terms involved. And about that I feel this way. Dialoguing is the work of the therapist. It's a corrective process. It's that process I told you that needs a lot of patience. I feel like saying to describe this, yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. Anybody in my aftercare kind of knows they've seen me do this very gently. It's about correcting. You know, when you say things and, and you're taking responsibility, for example, for your father incesting you, you know, you're blaming yourself for him doing that or you're minimizing, denying, you're in an active state of delusion. Somebody's just, somebody in here asked me earlier today, because I know her family history, she said she wasn't abused. I said, but I know your family, you were abused. No, I wasn't abused. I said, you know, you're in an active state of delusion. I was dialoguing with her the minute I said that to her. Okay? 
That is the work of the therapist. It's a corrective process so that you can tell your history in an unskewed fashion. It is highly directive. It is interrupting. Somebody say to me, Somebody says to me, I'm having them debrief, and they say, well, you know, my father abused me, but it wasn't that bad to you. What do you do? I say, stop. You know, I won't permit you to say that to me. You say, my father abused me by doing this to me. And I make them do it. They go back and have to say it my way. If they don't do it, they're not going to get where they need to go. The third part of the work is called shame reduction work. Now, the fourth part is called integration work. The reason why I listed them like that and both at the same time is because sometimes integration has to be done here before shame reduction work, but sometimes shame reduction work has to be done before integration can be done. It's the job of your therapist to know which one to do first. But I'll explain each process to you. Shame reduction work is the symbolic work of giving back to the people who offended you the, the reality of the shame core. It happens like this. It happens in group. Where you, I wouldn't suggest ever doing this. On, I really would not try to do this with someone on a one-to-one -one basis. I, I think group therapy is the treatment process of choice for codependents because they need so much validation of their reality. But anyway, what you do is you sit in group with your counselor next to you and you put a chair across the room from you and you image into the room a person who offended you as a child and you literally uh, debrief with them instead of talking to the group as a whole about what this person did you talk directly to that person it's all imagery work it's all role play work and that goes in two parts a is a statement this is what you did to me and about that I feel and you list out your feeling reality and you just keep going down through your history you've obviously had to go through the experience of writing your history and the practice debriefing before you can ever do this when you get done with all your history and how you feel about it you move into part B and about that I'm angry I have a right to be angry And I give you back your shame. It's all symbolic work. Makes you feel good, though. It's a good way of straighten out, straightening out all the baloney. Now, I've got uh, something to tell you about that complicates that whole process. And it has to do with the carried feeling reality. You see, it's actually unusual to work with a codependent where the only thing in that shame core is shame. Most people have some, some other kind of feeling reality that's within that shame core, and it'll surface at a level, at the level of and about that I feel. You will find that the feeling reality will come up on two levels, depending upon who you're talking to and whether what feeling reality, the other feeling reality, they also, uh, that you carry for them. So in the four feelings, again, that will surface are anger, fear, pain, and shame. I'm going to put a line above shame and tell you that, that I'm not speaking about shame at this moment. I'm speaking about anger, fear, and pain. The moment you say, and I feel, 
and follow it with anger, fear, or pain, it may surface as your own feeling reality or the carried feeling reality. It will surface as the carried or induced feeling reality if there is feeling reality in that shame core that that particular person dumped on you. How to tell whether it's your own or the carried is this. Remember that diagram I gave you that shows you that in, when you're in the carried feeling reality and it's anger, you will be raging. When it's pain, you'll be feeling hopeless. When it's fear, you're going to be feeling panic. Well, when you say in about that I feel fear, if you move on into panic, you're obviously into carried fear that you must have for that person. You must be packing fear on board. It could be fear of this person's sexuality. It could be fear of their femininity. It could be fear of, um, of uh, old age. It could be fear of uh, poverty. It could be fear of riches. It could be anything that, you might, that might surface in terms of what the fear's about or what the pain's about or what the anger's about. Maybe that you're confronting dad and, and he was angry with mom and never dealt with it but talked to you about how he hated and raged it at her in front of you so you carry a lot of that anger for him and it surfaces and you start raging when you confront him. Then, then what's going to happen is you obviously are carrying his anger for your mom that he never dealt with and was irresponsible with in front of you. When it comes up as your own, and again, your own feeling reality is not overwhelming. It might be intense, but it's not overwhelming. You're not going to be raging. You're not going to be panicking. You're not be you won't be doubled up and feeling hopeless. It'll be your own. Then move on. But if it comes up as carried, you have to move into a very special sentence. It's this. I give you back your part of this, and then you list the feelings. In other words, I keep my own, but I give yours back because I can't take care of your feeling reality. I'm on overwhelm when I try. And you repeat that and repeat that and repeat that and repeat that, and there will be a shift. You can feel it. You will go down. You will move from total panic, for example, down into just being afraid because you may be afraid of this person. Let me give you an example. That's the best example I have. I was working with a woman whose mother beat her within an inch of her life daily until she was four, starting as an infant until the family finally said, stop this, you can't. Mom beat her fearlessly. This woman carried a lot of her mom's fear. When, we, when I had her bring her mom into the room, I actually had two people stand next to the chair because she was worried mom was going to leap out of the chair and get her. So two people were standing on each side of the chair and I was sitting next to her holding on because as a therapist I knew that she was going to go into panic. But I didn't know she'd go into this kind of panic. Anyway, so she brought her mom into the room. I had John and Pat standing on each side of the chair and I'm sitting here and she went silent. And, and I was looking and listening and waiting and we're all looking at her. Turned around, I said, Okay, what's going on with you? And she did this. She said, ah, 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 you know, and I'm going, uh-oh. I said, you know, you're in a panic state right now. And she, I said, are your legs paralyzed? They feel mushy. Said that. I said, I said, right now, I mean, this woman didn't go into this is what you did and then go into her carried feeling reality. She went immediately into panic, and that's not unusual with fear. I said, okay, why don't you say to your mother, I carry your fear. I'm afraid of you. I have a lot of fear of my own, but I also carry your fear. You were fearless in your abuse of me, and I give you back your part of this fear. I keep my own because I need to be afraid of you, but I give you back yours. Now, it took her, I think, 10 minutes to say that once. It took 30 minutes for her to say it about four times. And then she went silent again. Meanwhile, I'm kind of, 
you know, off into la-la land myself. It's very difficult, concentrated work. And Pat and John, who were standing on each side of the chair, were really spaced out. They were just I mean, like that, you know, but hanging onto the chair. Anyway, she got real silent. I just started to turn to her. I was kind of watching them and her at the same time with my peripheral vision when she screamed out, I give you back your effing fear. Screamed it as loud as she could. Both John and Pat leaped back away from the chair as though they were stuck with a cattle prod. I turned and looked at her and she's smiling. <laughs> and I said, well, how are you doing? I'm fine. Mom's got her effing fear. <laughs> I go, oh, really? Yeah, she said, tell John and Pat to get back away from the chair. I'm going after Mom. I said, what does Mom look like? She's scared to death, and I'm ready to go do my work. Now, that, we, we didn't even get into this before we had to deal with the carried fear. It could have been carried pain. It could have been carried anger, but it'll surface like that. Now, do you get the drift of what I mean? Now, let's move down to shame. Shame you don't give back at a level. Remember those shame words I tell you to, told you to identify on worthless, stupid, inadequate, bad? Those are shame words. At A level, when you bring up the fact that, and about that I feel your shame, when shame comes up when you're doing this work, it is always carried or induced shame. It isn't your own. It never will be. So what you have to say somewhere after each one of your episodes you're talking about, you must say, and about that, you shame me, I carry your shame. It makes me feel like I'm stupid, worthless, inadequate, less than, da-da-da-da-da, what the litany is. This helps you begin to understand and start to mentally shift this back to who it belongs to. So carried feelings, anger, fear, and pain, you move at this level. Shame, you just discuss. If it's your own, move through them. When you get down here, then, this will work. If you don't take care of the carried feeling up here, it'll surface down here. Like you'll go into a panic attack when you try to say, I give you back your shame. You'll go into crying. You'll go into a panic attack. You'll start raging. It'll surface again in forms of that carried stuff, so you have to move back up at the A anyway. And moving back and forth on what you do is really your therapist's business anyway. You're there for the ride. That's one time you are solely there for the ride and the show. You, you, they're supposed to tell you how to do it. If you get with someone that flops around with that, get yourself someone else. The next part of the work is called Integration of the Precious Child. That is symbolic work, too. I'll show you something about codependency. It took a long time to understand. What you find here is that you as a codependent or me as a codependent, before I got into recovery, had two parts of me that were at war. I had an adult part of me that kind of resided on the right side of me, and I had a child part of me that kind of hung out on the left side of me. What had happened to me is that I was severely abused in my family of origin, and what that, what, how I acted that out is that this adult knew, as this adult parented me, it parented me abusively. In other words, as the child part of me was in action, my adult part of me abused my child part of me. That as I parented myself, as I took care of myself, I did it abusively, and I was constantly abusing my child. What happens is, this is another way to look at codependency, and this is, this is really the icing on the cake. This is kind of hard to understand, but once you get this, you'll really understand the disease. What happens to you then as an adult, which keeps the disease going, 
is that as you do not take care of your child part of you and you abuse that child, that child is the one that goes into the shame attack. That's why, you know, I told you, part of the shame attack is starting to feel a little back of the squeaky voice and not defend yourself. That's why you, as what happens is that you abuse that child, they go into a shame attack, and then guess who's in charge of your life? A three-year-old child or a ten-year-old child. You can't do very well when you're living like that most of the time. Integration work is about stopping this whole process. And what you do is you do it in group again, but instead of bringing the offender into the room or somebody that abused you as a child, you bring yourself into the room the way you look sometime, some, at some point between age 6 and 10. The reason why I say six, somewhere between 6 and 10 because it's, it won't work very well if you bring a child into the room that's still engaged in magical thinking. You need to bring a child that can start thinking logically into the room and who therefore is aware that they're being abused. And you bring them into the room and you set them down in a chair and you talk to them. Your, your counselor, your therapist will have you start dialoguing with that child. I have people, I have them bring them into the room and I say, okay, now, where is that child and what do they look like? Well, they'll say things like this. Well, they're standing in the corner, they have the back to me and they won't turn around. Or she's sitting in the chair and she's sitting very quietly. She's perfect. She's sitting there smiling like this, but I can tell she's afraid. You know, they'll, they'll describe whatever it is. Who knows what it is? I say, well, what's the look on their face? Well, gosh, she's got big black circles under her eyes. Her hair's hanging in her face and she's weeping. Whatever it is, I have them describe. And then, basically, what I have them do is, is um, tell the child that they were abused and that they're going to now make a commitment to the child to stop abusing them themselves and that they will now take responsibility for nurturing and appropriately parenting that child and that it is safe to do it. If the child agrees to do that, then I have the child move up into the patient's lap and I have the patient start rocking and nurturing that child. This is very, very, very painful work. I have a hard time not weeping. I, tears usually run down my face. I just can't stop it. Now, then I have the person take that child and compress it down into like the size of a green apple in their hand like that. And then I have them mash it into their chest. On the left side, tell them to wrap that child around their heart and to hold them in there. That's called integration work. And it's a commitment to stop abusing and start taking care of. This will significantly reduce people's shame attacks because it makes them much more aware of not taking care of themselves. Sometimes you have to integrate before shame reduction work. If you have a person, really, that has been very, very seriously abused, they may not have the wherewithal and the energy to do shame reduction work, but if you make them bring their child into the room and stand next to them or sit in their lap while they talk to their parents, believe me, there's a volcano that starts to go off in that chair, and they will defend the child when they can visualize the child here. And sometimes they need to do that before they can even begin this. It's a therapeutic decision as to which you do first. And that's a therapist's responsibility, not yours. You're again along for the ride. The last part of the process is absolutely wonderful. When you get here, you're getting near the bloody end of the thing. It's called forgiveness. Now, there's two people to forgive, yourself and the people that offended you. 
Self-forgiveness sometimes can be a horrible battle because it isn't unusual for us as codependents to have been offensive and abusive to our own children, as well as now highly aware of how we didn't take care of ourselves. But self-forgiveness has to start right there. The other part is about forgiving the people who abused you. There's a decision to be made there. If your, par if your parents didn't maliciously abuse you, and really are supporting your recovery, at least trying to understand it and not interfering with it, then you can move on into just a fairly open forgiveness process. But if your parents were malicious, if they truly intended to hurt you, if they are continuing to act shamelessly, if they're trying to attack your recovery and prevent it, then you do not do that. Instead, or if they've been just, if they're, if they're dead, but everything was just absolutely horrible. Instead, what you do is you move into a grieving process. What you do is you have to go through that, uh, through a grieving process about how it really was and how that hurt. And, and also, you automatically will go into grieving the fantasy of what you thought you had. Now, that is pain city. It's bad enough facing the dynamics of what it really was but when you go into grieving the fantasy you made up for 40 years believe me that is pain city it took me two years to move through my grieving process but when I got done guess what had happened I had forgiven them and I had enough self-esteem and boundary systems on board set up finally that I can be around my parents now my father I'm not around my mother I can be around my father now and function very well and I don't get into what I call the pig pen with the pigs. I walk around the pig pen. I don't get into it with my father and my siblings. I walk right around. I just observe them and I'm fine and I don't have to get into it with them. And I've forgiven them and I can be there with them but I'm not in the pig pen. <coughs> and that's the therapy involved. So there is something you can do and there's something that you can ask a therapist to do for you. And people that have been trained in this know how to do that for you. So there's a lot of hope. And that's the end of this lecture. Mm -hmm.